Hi folks, Peter here. Uh, we had a little bit of an issue with the audio on my track for this one. I sit right near an air conditioner and it's very hot right now, so there was a pretty significant amount of noise. And getting it out of there so you could actually hear me speak caused a little bit of distortion. Justin did some heroic stuff to make it sound as good as possible, but uh, this one was on me, so... Fortunately, I didn't spend a whole lot of time talking this episode. It was mostly Grant and our guest, so uh, we should be back to our usual slightly higher standards of audio quality for the next one. Thanks and enjoy. This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, June 25th of 2020, it's episode 181. In this episode, W.J. McGuffin joins us to talk about using real religions in games, plus our thoughts on Palladium's alignment system, stuff we've been reading, quarantine comfort media, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm W.J. Welcome. Glad to have you on the show. We do not have Jenny tonight. She is unfortunately not feeling well and having... Internet growing pains. Apparently things got upgraded, but I know from having worked tangentially to that field, sometimes when har new hardware goes in, not all the settings get changed, and she is having constant internet issues, and that's making it very difficult for her to join us, which is unfortunate because we have a really interesting guest tonight. WJ, do you want to take a second and introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm WJ McGuffin. No, that's not my real name, but I'll get to that in a minute. I've been a gamer since, oh, geez, 1984, 83? Something like that. Cut my teeth on the first edition of D&D, the Holmes box. And then in early 2000s, I got lucky, managed to get in with a group of game designers uh, working on the game Paranoia. Kind of leapfrogged me into a sort of a side gig career of game design. So I've worked on Paranoia a bunch. I'm currently in charge of the line, sort of, kind of. I, I don't make decisions. I just make stuff. Uh, but I decide what to make. So lead developer role, kind of. Yeah, that works. Okay. Then I've also written for The Laundry, which was a Call of Cthulhu version. Unknown Armies. I did a few D20 stuff back in the day. Unknown Armies is officially my favorite game. Ooh, so. fantastic. Oh, which edition? Yes. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Quick story. I the, My first gaming was with D&D uh, 3.0, but then the first game I bought that wasn't D&D &D, was the Unknown Army's second edition book that I saw reviews of online. I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Nice. Poor college kid, you know, drop some money on it. And <laughs> that's the one I'm like, oh, I see how games are supposed to go because my, my initial D&D &D experiences were not good because nobody had any idea what, what, what they were doing. And I read this was like, I think I get what this is supposed to be now. So yes, it's it's got a very sweet spot in my heart. There's parts of third edition I like more, but second edition will always and forever be my my first love, you know? No, I totally agree. Second edition is a great game for Unknown Armies, and that's what I cut my teeth on for Unknown Armies stuff. And you're right, I realized just how messed up in a wonderful way role-playing can get. Yes. Also, one of the most readable RPGs ever written, I think, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Greg Stoltze has this wonderful uh, voice that comes through in the in the product. That is very true. Yes, and he had a huge hand in the uh, third edition. Yeah, you hear you hear the same thing in Rain as well. It's a lot of fun. Anything other than Paranoia? That these other products that you've worked on? I've done my own stuff. Um, created a zombie game. Uh, what was it? Outlive, Out Dead. 
a competitive game where if you die, you join the GM and play zombies the rest of the game trying to kill the other players. Fun. Interesting. Yeah, there's no paranoia influence at all. No, no, of course <laughs> not. And then I did produce a game called Triune, which was sort of a mix of science fiction and real-world religions. Look at that. Hmm, interesting. It's almost as if that's relevant to our conversation tonight. I know. What are the odds? <laughs> I am not familiar with Triune. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. No one is familiar with it. This was my first game I've ever done by myself. So I wrote it, laid it out, did the artwork, published it, and it shows. I'm not afraid to admit it is a heartbreaker. The idea, it's a complicated idea, but uh, it's science fiction, no aliens. Instead, you have heaven and hell, or dimensions that call themselves heaven and hell, at least. And you spend the game tracking down angels and devils and people of faith in this universe, because faith actually works, obviously. You could pray for that light to change, and it will change. But I use real-world religions as character classes, as well as sins and your career in, in society. So it, it was a love thing for me. I just, I love science fiction, love religion. And to be able to combine the two of them was just a load of fun. Sounds interesting on a conceptual level. Honestly, the, the lore that you described reminded me of Doom Eternal a little bit. Yeah, I actually just started playing that. Okay. I'm only a couple levels in, and oh, wow, that's an intense game. I love it. Oh, yeah. I can only play for about 45 minutes, and then I need a break. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that's definitely a pedal to the metal game that'll assail your senses a little. <laughs> so. But that's part of its charm. Yeah. Yep. And then there's another reason you, you've you decided or asked to, uh, to join us on the show, and that's because of what you do kind of in the other half of your career, correct? Oh, yes. Sorry. The, the um, Catholic school stuff. <laughs> yes. So for 15 years, I was a Catholic school teacher, then principal. So I got very involved in uh, the church in that capacity. Absolutely loved my time there. But all good things come to an end. And by the end, I had just... Uh, I guess the way to put it is I've seen too much stuff I could not unsee and no longer felt comfortable in either a Catholic church or in a Catholic school. Mm, yeah. And I'm not a bitter ex-Catholic. I got nothing but love for the faith and the church. Just for my personal journey, it was actually interfering with my love of Christ and God. So pulling back helped keep my faith rather than have it ruined. Sure. Not unfamiliar, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's awesome to have you on. I do. Ha I promised you that I would tell you a story about yes. paranoia before we got on the mics officially here. I have only played paranoia once. It was at uh, a convention, uh, Fear the Con 5, mm -hmm. uh, back in t 2012, uh, because... We, my wife and I went and she was pregnant with our first kid. Nice. That's how I know. But the one paranoia game I played had all sorts of bizarre things going for it. The GM was working uh, and is still working uh, in artificial intelligence research. Wow. So he brought along a laptop with a chatbot to use his friend computer that had been seeded with all the lines from Portal 1 from GLaDOS <laughs> and the entire TimeCube website. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. That was friend computer in that game. There were a few other delightful things of note, like for whatever reason, two of the character sheets had been printed and something, 
again, I've worked in software and IT support and hardware support and just you know general computer stuff for two decades. Mm-hmm. I have never seen this happen anywhere else where the printout of two of these character sheets, but not all of the others, was shifted one character up. Okay. In the character encoding. So A became B. Oh. Capital Z became lowercase a. Z became open parentheses. <laughs> One became two. And as you can imagine, this did some interesting things to the character sheet. So I was playing Sisbo <laughs> with a, a set of skills that I had to decipher in order to use. And that felt, if nothing else, entirely in Paranoia's wheelhouse. Oh, definitely. The idea of getting a character sheet that's messed up but you got to deal with it and pretend it's not. Yeah, the GM just kind of looked at it and was like, welcome to Paranoia. I was like, yeah, all right, makes sense. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Love it. Also, we had one one guy uh, run through two six-packs of, of clones in a three-hour session. Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> it was delightful. <laughs> Even my games aren't that deadly. Yeah, and we did eventually change the light bulb. So, Oh, us. you played the light bulb mission. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. WJ, it's, it's delightful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for reaching out to us, joining us. It's, it's fantastic. Well, thanks for having me here. And really, all I did was try to get attention and succeed. Well, <laughs> we like that. <laughs> so do it's, I. It's always exciting when people are like, oh, they, they, they're coming to us. We don't have to try and, and track them down and, and beg. This is, this <laughs> is wonderful. Thank you. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Real quick, do we want to kind of do a catch-up on what we've been doing gaming-wise and everything else? Mm, There hasn't been a whole lot. Yeah, Um, I know. Last week was the off week for my campaign, so that's nothing really happened there. We had a cancellation in our Saturday game because of various life stuff. Yep. Um... Had another one of my E-Insider articles published, but it's not like the, the big one that I was excited about that I talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about all I got. How about you, Grant? <laughs> I mean, I think the big thing is we've all been kind of trawling through the itch.io bundle for racial justice and equality that yeah. we all picked up. Same. Yeah, all with its... 1,700 items. I know. Yes. It's, it's really good. I blasted through a campaign of Pyre in two days. If nobody has played Pyre, you should pick up Pyre and play it. It's really good. <laughs> you managed to get through it in two days. Okay, so I got vacation next week. I've got no excuse. I thought it was longer than that. So No, not really. But then again, I, I was playing on it like normal difficulty. If you crank the difficulty up, I could see it taking longer. Grant, I never crank the difficulty up. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> that's not that's not my fault. I sometimes crank it down. <laughs> However, the only reason it took me two days is I was carefully reading every bit of delicious lore in that game. It's a delightful yeah, setting. It's, it, it. Yeah, the, the world building is great. The characters are really compelling. It's yeah. I haven't finished it, but I, I have played it, and it is good. Oh, it's amazing. The other thing, and this is maybe worth mentioning in, in conjunction with that, we've act, my church has actually been doing a really interesting study on a particular book by Jennifer Harley. And I'm going to link this in the show notes. It's Raising White Kids, Bringing Up Children in a Racially Unjust America. If anyone wants to know how to talk to kids about current racial tensions and deal with the problem in a anti-racist way rather than just a, you know, hey, we don't talk about that kind of way, amazing book. It's very approachable. 
I think it's really good for parents, really good for educators. And it, despite the title, it's not just for white kids or parents of white kids. It's very much for like anybody involved in raising children at any point. I don't want to spend too much time necessarily talking about it on the mics, but man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And there's a lot that's made me think, oh, this is a better way to approach this problem. Not, oh, I've been doing it wrong, but oh, this is just better. And there's a lot of really good statistical information, just really good stuff. So excellent book. Since we're on that, I do have a couple of things that I want to mention. First of all, kind of when this whole thing started, right around the time that I wrote that blog post that we've referred to a number of times, I took some time and read a letter from a Birmingham jail. I found it online from Martin Luther King Jr., that is absolutely worth your time to do if you have not done so recently. A lot of you probably read it in high school or something like that. Yep. Read it again. <laughs> I, I never did. Okay. I, I'm assuming I did because so much of it was familiar when I went through. The next thing is, kind of along those lines, there were two things on Netflix I've consumed and I thought were really good. These are both specifically uh, more about the criminal justice reform side of things than the racism side of uh, things that are going on kind of with the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff. But, you know, obviously these these issues are intertwined. There's a movie called The 13th on Netflix that is absolutely phenomenal. It's um, about 100 minutes long. It's a documentary. It goes into the prison industrial complex and some of the, the historical ties back to slavery and that sort of thing. And then there's another series that is equal part... It will get you right in the feels in a whole bunch of different ways. It's called The Innocence Files. There's a like a, a legal nonprofit called The Innocence Project out there that gets people who have been wrongfully convicted out of prison, sometimes decades after they went in. And it's a collection, it's nine episodes long, it's a collection of different stories of, you know, these different people who have gone into the system, sometimes the, the people that put them in there, the people that got them out again. It's really good storytelling. It's some outraging and heartbreaking stuff, but there's also some really neat, like, hopeful stuff in there, too. And I would strongly recommend that series to anybody who's got Netflix, frankly. What's that series name again? The Innocence Files. Thank you. WJ, you've been uh, consuming anything interesting that you think our listeners might be, might find uh, worth their time? I have a uh, nice Cote de Rome that I'm consuming right now. 2016 is a good year, apparently. Um, Media-wise... <sighs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, I hate to admit it because this is so dumb, so not intellectual, but I absolutely love the show Holy Moly. It's a miniature golf competition show, which sounds dumb, and it is, but it's a good kind of dumb. Rob Riggle, absolutely love him. He's uh, one of the co-hosts. It's on ABC, but you can find it on Hulu. I've been doing a Kickstarter lately, doing two jobs. You get the idea. So I've been looking for relaxing media and that fits the bill i don't have to think i just sit there and laugh at people and then feel guilty about it and then go to bed <laughs> if it helps as a family we have all been watching the floor is lava on netflix which is oh yes quite a lot of fun it's literally the kids game the floor is lava but they build a little obstacle course and then flood it with bubbling orange water and uh the floor is lava and you can't fall in I just kind of love the cheesiness of it. And it's definitely like Netflix has figured out that Nailed It is its own genre is kind of what it feels like to me. Sure. <laughs> Self-aware reality TV where it's where the point is not 
look at these people, but rather look at this really stupid reality show we're putting on. <laughs> the reality show itself is kind of the topic of conversation as much as anything. Sure. It's a very self-aware kind of thing. Extremely yeah. self-aware. It's it's fun. The kids love it. They've been playing, as you might imagine, uh, The Floor is Lava and building obstacle courses <laughs> around the house. And awesome. uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's good uh, pandemic activity. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, don't don't feel bad. We've been watching some very stupid TV ourselves. Yeah, and, and I've, <laughs> I've been watching like Jell's Marble Races a little bit, So which is on YouTube. I've probably watched at least two dozen of those videos, and that's literally just a bunch of like marbles rolling down a racetrack with color commentary. So, <laughs> Oh, that sounds beautiful. Oh, it's great. It does sound amazing. <laughs> Make sure to link that in the show notes. That just sounds sure. delightfully relaxing. And I bet my kids would also love it. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I'll put that in the, the outline here. Sweet. I think we've, we've talked about ridiculous television enough. I think it's time to try and roll for our Patreon question. What do we say? Let's do it. Yay. All right, here we go. Rolling that die right off the desk. All right, there we go. Okay, so this one is actually convenient from John and Jenny Swan. Your recent series on D&D alignments got me to thinking. I know you aren't huge fans of the Palladium system, but what are your thoughts on their alignment system? I am not incredibly familiar with Palladium's alignment series or uh, alignment system, I do know that there is no such thing as true neutral, and it's got a bunch of kind of weird... I can run this down for you. I am familiar with it. Please. Please do. I know it's wobbly, and that's about it. From, like, most good to least good, you have principle, which is basically lawful good in different clothing. These are really super honorable good characters. The example that they use is Superman these characters will have like really super strong moral compasses and uh they're the sort of person who like almost never lies right they're principled yeah yeah principled the next one is scrupulous which is basically principled but not quite as much so okay. um this your average good guy they're a little bit more willing to use subterfuge in extreme circumstances but eh you know still still pretty up there uh, next down is called Unprincipled, which is basically the neutral-leaning good alignment. There's uh, Anarchist, which is basically the lol-so-random alignment. That's the chaotic neutral of this. <laughs> yeah, essentially. There's Aberrant, which is honorable evil. There's Miscreant, which is truly evil, but uh, eh, not as not as severe as Diabolic, which is just like, Mwahaha, evil for the sake of evil, maximum evil all the time. That's basically the Palladium system, as I recall it. <laughs> it's not terrible. Um, it's a little bit more descriptive, at least, than, like, the, the Law Chaos Good Evil grid. I, I think, it, frankly, I think it's probably better than a lot of other things that Palladium has produced, uh, which is admittedly not the highest bar to clear. It's okay. Uh, you know, it's it's not as... It's, it, it's not as offensively bad as some of the the math in Palladium, for sure. I mean, sure. Or some of the casual racism and ableism and, like, the madness tables and stuff. I think for me the main thing is it doesn't seem particularly two-dimensional. 
it's just kind of a, a line. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you're going to do that, just have a morality score and be done with it. Or make it, you know, so that you come up with your own descriptions and make it interesting in, in some way. That that would be my critique of it. But yeah, it seems fine. You're basically just cutting diagonally across the 3x3 three three grid, honestly. You're, you're basically skipping. You're kind of taking like a, a slice that goes... Through lawful good, the corner, most of the way through neutral good, the corner of chaotic good, and then it like loops back around and completely misses lawful neutral. It's true neutral, kinda, and chaotic neutral, and then hits the evil alignments. And it's right. just kind of like, eh. Like I said, it's not as bad as some other things in Palladium. And I, I do like the fact that it's more descriptively based. Um,. But yeah. I'm always a sucker for descriptive words rather than a score or some table. Yeah, for me, I like the descriptive words, but I need the number two. Like if I look at principled and scrupulous, scru- someone else say that word. Scrupulous? Thank you. <laughs> Just looking at them as vocabulary terms, I can't really tell the difference between them. They're, they seem very similar. So if it was like principled uh, nine, uh, as in as far good as you can get then I can wrap my head around it easier. Yeah. Well, John, Jenny, thank you very much. Appreciate the question. And as always, if you want to get your own questions in, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. Uh, as little as a dollar a month gets you a question on our table if you want it. And of course, if you want to support us for other rewards, you can do that there as well at higher tiers. We appreciate everybody's support, especially these days when things are tough all around for everyone and, you know, money can and needs to be spent elsewhere. We really do appreciate everyone helping us stay on the internet it does a lot for us yeah yeah we are we are very grateful for our wonderful patrons indeed all right we've got some scripture to read and then we have a topic that wj brought to us and i'm excited to get into it this is exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 3 and god spoke all these words i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me this is john 13 34 to 35 A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And finally, we have 1 James, verses 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. WJ, you brought us an interesting topic tonight, talking about something that you touched on when discussing Triune, incorporating real-world faith into gaming. There is sort of this big question that we have addressed time and again on this podcast. Do we use real faiths? Do we make up our own? When and where and why? What's There's a lot of dimensions to talk about here, and I think the first thing I have to ask is, what are we making that needs a religion in the first place, and who are we making it for? Because if you're doing City on a Hill, that's one thing. And if we're doing one of our home games, that's another. Yeah, and if we're doing a published piece of game design, maybe that's something else entirely. So, uh, WJ, give us some initial thoughts on this. What brought this up for you? What brought this up for me is um, just trying to balance being a gamer and a Christian. At the beginning, I said W.J. McGuffin is my pen name. That's because I was outed, so to speak, as a paranoia writer while working at a Catholic school and almost fired 
because people said, ah, that's the devil's stuff. Yeah, so Satanic Panic apparently did not die for some people. Well, it's even paranoia. It's not D&D or White Wolf or something. It's it's a comic sci-fi setting. Yes, but that's rational thought. And this person was not being quite rational. Fair enough. So that's always been a topic near and dear to my heart, because both of them are, well, near and dear to my heart. And like I said, I experimented with using real religions in Triune, but the reason I included real religions that was part of my design goal. So I think if you're going to put some kind of uh, real-world faith into a role-playing game, it, there has to be a good reason. There, it has to serve a purpose for the game's design. So, for example, just a um, how about a World of Darkness game? How about your hunters? Sure. Bringing in real faiths can make sense. I like the idea of, of normalizing people of religion in gaming. We're not all atheists. Yeah, certainly. But it's also... It fits the, the, the game setting. It makes sense that religious iconography, for example, or Christian mythology would be used in a game about vampires because it can infect them. Mm -hmm. At least I think it does. It's been a long time since I played Vampire. Sorry, World of Darkness fans, if I just screwed something up. Didn't mean it on purpose. Probably. You, you know what? Here's the thing about World of Darkness, at least as I've been able to observe it, and I don't know it as well as Grant does, but regardless of what you say, you're probably right in at least one edition. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, that, that is a nice way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> He's not arguing with me, so I think I did okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just, you know, it, I think in all the editions I've read, it's been, you know, oh, you know, if that faith is real, no matter what it is, then it has power. Yes. Uh, it's that very inter internally driven sort of thing. Uh, but there are real supernatural things out there that certainly seem to imply certain truths about various different religions, though it's they specifically leave it unclear what any sort of final truth is. I, right. I mean, the first vampire in Vampire the Masquerade was literally the biblical Cain. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the that. first murderer who killed his brother. Yeah, but in that context, it makes total sense to bring in actual real religions into the game. If you're playing a superhero game, if you're playing Masks, for example, game I still haven't played but really want to, it may not make sense. I mean, if you wanted a... a Christian-based superhero, well then sure, because again, there's a reason for it there, but I wouldn't just bring in a real-world faith, no matter what it is, without it supporting the game's objectives and experience. Yeah, if you're playing like Daredevil or Nightcrawler or something, then you've got a reason to put it in, because that's an important part of those characters' backgrounds, but I think Captain America is nominally a United Methodist, and... That doesn't really come up when he's fighting Hydra very much. <laughs> and that's it. It doesn't need to be there. It can be there as a uh, subtext. It can be there to help flesh out a character. There's nothing wrong with having a superhero adventure in a church, for example. Of course. But if it's not affecting the game, either from a design point or from a play point, then I don't see the point of bringing it in there. It does help you stay away from certain potential downsides of trying to include real religion. I think we are all familiar with people who have a, a very broad, stereotypical, almost bigoted take on religion in games. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've all gamed with those sorts of people. And even if you're not making religion a joke, if you're not doing your research, you're going to get something wrong. Religion is complicated, and that, that's true of all of them. So there's a lot that you do need to learn. You can certainly start with your own, but you you know, then 
that always kind of runs that risk of breaching that boundary between player and character in uncomfortable ways. Exactly. The other side of that is, if you are specifically trying to do that in your game, I actually did this in a World of Darkness game, kind of when I sort of recommitted to being a Christian, I was like, well, you know, I haven't really thought about religion much at all lately. Why don't I just play a priest? And it was a mage game, played a chorister and had fun doing that. But then it was like, oh, you know, I, I need to kind of read through the Bible and get some verses handy. And oh, and oh, yeah, remember this, you know, and sort of got back into it because I wanted that bleed. The the bleed between character and player was part of the point of playing that character for me. And that's your choice. And that's a fantastic choice. I actually really dig what you were talking about. Some folk aren't uh, comfortable with that. No, and it's not right at all the time, at all times for all people, certainly. And that's why I am hesitant about baking that into a game. Because if you're forcing people to take it, well, forcing religion never works. Yeah, and I, I think putting it in there too intensely in kind of a, a standard game that isn't focused around those themes is a really good way to honestly commit some safety violations at the table. You'll make people uncomfortable. You may even drive them away. You can It can lead to kind of bullying sometimes at the table, mm -hmm. or at the very least, you know, somebody feeling like they have to defend themselves for stuff that they, you know, actually practice on Sunday or something like that. And it's just, it can play carefully with it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it. It can definitely enrich things, but it can also, you can wind up in a position where you've got people who have much more differing worldviews than you originally gave them credit for, who are now suddenly kind of forced into being at odds with each other over a game. And that's not always great. Right. <laughs> no. And and like Grant, I think you were saying this earlier, you got to get it right. Mm -hmm. I, I remember playing a, I think it was a D20 modern game back when that was a thing. Part of the adventure was going to a Protestant group of monks and nuns. And that's not a thing. No, no not, not really. Not really. I mean, there might be some very small branch somewhere that tried it, but there, it's certainly not a, a common tradition. And coming from a Catholic tradition... I knew that, and so that actually, it wasn't offensive by any means, but it detracted from the immersion, because I could see something that the GM didn't understand, threw in there and thinking it would be cool, and at least from my perspective, it was like, oh, yeah, that's not a thing. It'd be an interesting way of signifying an alternate history or something, but... Right, or yep. here's this extremely minor artificial branch that you could then include. And there is some advantage to that of sort of inventing your own thing. Maybe we're not talking about, maybe the point is not, hey, this is Christianity in the game, but look at this very peculiar, very minor imaginary sect of Christianity that has some touchstones that you're familiar with, but don't worry, they're fake. I think that's a great way to handle it. If you use a real faith as a, platform to launch off of, then you bring some uh, authenticity to that new group. But because it's made up, you do have a lot of leeway. You can do what you need to do with it without crossing any boundaries or, um, Peter, like you were saying earlier, accidentally offending folks by disrespecting their traditions. And of course, Unknown Armies is immediately coming to mind for me here <laughs> with all of its little bizarre sects and beliefs and, and the postmodern idea of, well, it's meaningful to me, and so that's uh, it's very, and, and but that's the thing that works for a game that's 
the real world one step removed. Well, the other thing, too, is that's the thematics of Unknown Armies. Everybody is a small, bizarre, extremist sect unto themselves. That's how magic works <laughs> in Unknown Armies. Pretty much. So it's like people are really obsessed with really bizarre, incredibly specific things. That's how two different types of... You can be either a mage or an icon that way, or if I'm getting those terms right. It's been a while since I've read Unknown Armies. And... Adept and Avatar. Okay, Adept and Avatar, sorry. Uh, the rest of the Unknown Armies fans are going to get me for that one. Anyways, <laughs> but both of the magic systems work that way, right? You, you've you zeroed in on something incredibly specific, and it's unique to you. It might have its roots in something that is recognizable as real-world belief, but it's kind of gone way off into the, you know, some bizarre direction. Certainly the more fun magic system works that way. No question about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... But here's the thing. We're still talking about a, a, a game that is we've started with the real world and then troped it up. It, we've added some weirdness to it. Right. When we're talking about something that is we're not starting with the real world, the advantage of, of having that little diversion is, is often lost because either we have to justify how we got here and that feels artificial, depending on exactly what kind of setting we're talking about. Or we have to come up with something entirely different, and that runs into some other discomforts where people will say, I don't know that I'm comfortable with a fictional religion in the first place. Yeah, and we've talked about this a great deal because, you know, we play D&D a lot. But the, the, the thing that I want to hit before we get too far afield is one of the things that, that is kind of interesting is sometimes you'll run into, like, somebody who's new to the hobby or is new to, like, the, the fantasy genre. You know, maybe they play Star Wars or something, sure. but they're, they're playing D&D for the first time, and it's like, well, I'm not really comfortable playing a character who's an adherent of some fictional deity, so can I play my real religion in Faerun? That's like... Ugh. That brings a whole basket of other things with it. Right, because the, the integrity of the setting is then something you have to figure out, plus all the other problems that we've, we've talked about. So it's not as if this is an easy discussion. It's not as if we haven't just hit eight years here on this episode of producing a podcast about this exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. We've, we're, we've diverted into some other topics other than the specific one. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the one thing that I do want to call out there, though, is one of the first problems that you'll run into, other than just people's comfort levels, is cosmologies. Yeah. Like, real-world religions have a very specific cosmology, and it does not look anything like the Great Wheel in D&D. Like, you don't have the inner planes and the outer planes, and, like, Christianity does not have the elemental plane of fire. We do not have the ethereal plane. We do not have, like, all of this other weirdness. And, right. you know, trying to, trying to reconcile, like, the cosmology of a real-world religion that is built up over, like tradition and serious thought about how the universe works by sincere people of faith, and trying to merge that with something that was designed originally to be gameable is fraught with problems. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's two different origins. Exactly. Yeah. But it's not even like trying to compare Christianity to Hinduism or something. And see, now I actually want to play a uh, Christian fighter who just keeps denying the existence of the other planes. 
No! <laughs> Elemental Plane of Fire? No, that's just hell, dude. Sorry, you got lied to. Oh, I've, I cannot tell you how many games I have played with people who, uh, you know, the, the skeptic fighter in the group. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, buddy, we're in the Forgotten Realms. We passed three gods at the cafe down the street. It's the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. They're yeah, everywhere. That, over there, that's that's Timora, and over there, it's, uh, you know, oh, that's Umberly. Let's let's keep walking this way, you know? We're, we're in Neverwinter. You can't help but trip on yeah. deities. So. Yeah. For me, at least, bringing in a real-world religion into a fantasy game or some game like that, it, it brings all the historical and cultural baggage associated with that faith. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that, you know, if you're playing, I don't know, you're playing someone Muslim in Forgotten Realms, then you have to worry about all the tenets of the Muslim faith and all of, and besides the fact that someone like myself really doesn't know that, I know a little, not enough. People will view your character different. Okay, here's here's a great example, though. You're, let's say you're playing a Muslim in, in Faerun like that. You know, you, you've got a character that's been pulled through a portal or something, has wound up in Faerun, the devout Muslim. What do they face to pray five times a day? Yes. You're on Faerun. There's no Mecca there. What do you face to pray five times a day? And how do you deal with other gods that are literally in front of you, like physically there? Yeah, and so it, it gets problematic, especially when you have a disconnect between what one player wants or is willing to do mm-hmm. and what the rest of the players want. And this gets into something that we have talked about a lot, which is having a group template and you know, doing some world building ahead of time, coming, you know, finding that common ground before you start a game. But that works for a group and maybe a campaign. You know, if you are trying to write published material, this gets very awkward very, very quickly. I think most groups can make that work if they try. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, if, if we're being honest with each other and being gracious to each other yeah we'll, we'll make this work we'll make we'll make some room for for what you're comfortable with maybe we're not gonna have the you know the gods of the forgotten realms actually show up we, you know there will be some divine magic but it's cool it's whatever i mean we've been doing this on city on a hill where you know we're all christians playing this and it's a christian inspired sort of setting it's kind of but, a narnia it's very allegorical. Very much so. But then again, I mean, we there are still clerics and wizards, but wizards have been reskinned a bit and that sort of thing. So if a group gets together and they really want to explore Neverwinter and play nothing but Christians and Jews and Muslims and whatever, all real world faiths, if that's what the group wants, then that's fine. Everyone's on board. Everyone's agreed to deal with all the baggage that's going to come with all that. Again, though, if you're not familiar with that material, and I cannot stress this enough, do your research or don't play it at all. Fun fact, several years ago, Peter and I hosted a video interview with Reverend Derek White, the geek preacher, who's been a repeated guest on our show. Sarah Lynn Bowman, I think, was on there as well. Was that right, Peter? She was. Jack Birkenstock and Shivan Bott. Right, and uh, Shivan Bott, for those who don't know, is uh, a big voice in the Magic the Gathering community and is uh, a Hindu, uh, actually a, a Hindu, I'm going to say... Lay priest, I think, is yeah. how he describes it. Yeah, he's, he's got some religious role. I do not know enough to name it accurately, and I don't want to try and again get it wrong. One of the things he called out was, for example, the game Smite, 
which I had been playing actually right up until that that uh, that interview we did. And he was like, yeah, you know, it it just sort of took characters from my religion and turned them into video game characters and then put some very offensive skins on them that you could buy. Wow. OK. It's like, did you know, there are real people who believe in this, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's Greek mythology that there aren't a ton of practitioners of. And, uh, oh, and here's uh, some Roman-inspired stuff. And here's a little bit of, you know, ancient Chinese lore-inspired stuff. Oh, and then Hindu stuff that millions, hundreds of millions of people still worship. Be careful with this, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's it's easy to say, well, it's not mine, so who cares? It will come up at some point. And please be respectful, do your research, or don't do it. I, I cannot stress that enough. And again, what's the point of bringing it up? Yes. I've seen video games that had, I can't remember the name of it, but it was every holy person, prophet, etc., fighting. It was a, a Mortal Kombat clone oh, where yeah. Jesus versus Buddha. I can't remember what it's called. The whole point of that was to be sarcastic, and it treated every religion equally blasphemously. And so that context, I think it works, because the point is to be sarcastic, and you're treating them all equally. Right. Not my bag, but... Mine either, but yeah, it's, at least it's consistent, so... <laughs> right. Yeah, and again, if you're trying to explore it or treat it honestly, you know, great, fine. Yeah. So I guess here, here's a question. We kind of touched on this a little bit. How do we do this in in certain settings, in certain games. Like, if we have a real faith that we want to include, and let's let's say Christianity, just, you know, for the sake of having a, a common Fair. denominator here, what benefits from that and what doesn't? We talked a little bit about, you know, modern Earth with genre elements, right? You know, Unknown Armies or World of Darkness, where it's one step removed. Makes a lot of sense, I think. If you're doing historical gaming, with or without genre elements probably matters even more because, at least in popular imagination, religion is a big part of history. Mm -hmm. I, I would say anything prior to the 20th century, especially. It's one of those things where, you know, the, historically, that's more or less true, depending on where you are in the world and what religion it is. And, Certainly. You know, different faiths, you know, wax, practice of it waxes and wanes in different places, that sort of thing, and changes radically from, you know, century to century. But in the popular imagination, it's a big part of history. Okay, let's put it this way. If you're going to do historical medieval Europe and not include the Catholic Church, you're leaving a lot on the table. Right. Even if it's weird Earth, you're still leaving a lot there. Sci-fi, this is an interesting one for me because science fiction usually means the future. And that usually means we have to think how has religion changed over the intervening years. Only we had somebody on this podcast who had written an entire campaign said, oh, wait, I know. you want to take this one? <laughs> Come on, WJ, we know you, you want to take this one. Let's... Sure, I'll, I will happily take this. With Triune, I wanted to explore the, sort of the nexus of personal choice and upbringing. So, like, I was never raised Christian. It was I fell in with the right crowd in college. <laughs> So with Triune, I was, it just started as an idea. Hey, what if heaven and hell were actual physical realms that you could visit? And that led to, well, um, let's talk about choice and, and the choices you make and the consequences of those choices. So that led me to think about religion and go, well, religion is usually a choice. I mean, no, 
some of us are forced to go to church or temple or what have you or else. Uh, but then we leave the parents' house and then do what we want anyway. To me, religion is always a choice, and that's what I wanted to explore with the game. Not, hey, let's look at a space Judaism and see what that looks like. No, it was just, hey, what happens if people of faith find out they could actually have temporal power? What if you're praying to Jesus literally helped you win that lottery ticket? Mm -hmm. Or the lottery with the ticket, you know what I mean? So that's why I included it. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't a gimmick. I just wanted to explore what happens if your faith becomes visible to other people and and how do you live your life with that? Yeah, there are a few sci-fi authors I've read who have basically just said people believe things and it doesn't really matter what planet they're on. They're going to take that those beliefs with them and it'll be about the same. Uh, and then there's others who have just said, well, you know, in the future, everybody's forgotten about religion entirely, uh, you know, and then there's a, plenty of authors in between. Uh, one of my favorite little bits, and, and not because it's particularly realistic, but it's just one of those delightful little mid-century imaginings. It was Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama, where one of yeah. the uh, characters exploring the alien vessel uh, is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Cosmonaut. <laughs> nice. Uh, and it's just one of those delightful little, oh, well, that's just kind of nice and weird and kind of hits that exact thing of, this isn't real. But we can kind of bring it in. And look, it's it's in the future. You know, the USR, USSR and uh, USA, you know, we're getting along. We're doing joint space stuff together. It's cool. He's on a, a U.S. ship. He's a Russian cosmonaut, whatever. But yeah, he follows this weird faith. Isn't that an interesting character note? Anyway, he's diving into this bizarre uh, spinning planet-sized spaceship. That's cool. <laughs> so. Yeah, to me, when it comes, I'm a huge sci-fi geek. That's my jam. And what I've seen too much is people assuming that religion dies out or it's not that important to the story. Sure. And I don't want to go too far in the other direction, unless, again, that's the point of the story. But I much prefer science fiction settings or stories or games or whatever where religion is a thing. That's all I'm looking for. J don't hide it. Don't pretend it's dead or just doesn't exist, because chances are religion will continue in some shape or form from now until the end of time. There are plenty of cases where I can very clearly see the author putting their own spin on, well, I'm telling you what the future will be, and there won't be any of that religion stuff around. <laughs> it's, it's very clearly kind of a, an authorial voice coming through. But then there's also very clearly authors who've just said, I don't want to get into that. I got this other story to tell. Don't worry about it. But it's notable with its absence. It never comes up. People who you might think ha would have some connection with religion don't. It's never brought up in any sci-fi story, even some stuff that is very clearly, well, you know, it's a, it's on Earth, but we just don't talk about that around here. And it's just, it, it's missing. It's the Star Trek problem. They go really into Vulcan religion and Klingon religion and Romulan, mm -hmm. but they never talk about Earth religions. What a really good example that I thought of doing this pretty well was... The Babaverse Trilogy by Dennis E. Taylor. Not familiar. This was recommended to me by a, a mutual friend of Grant and mine. And I just, he gave me like the first one as a, I think a Christmas gift or something to that effect. And I just tore through it. I, I read the first one and just immediately, as soon as I finished it, bought the second one, ripped through that, bought the third one, ripped through that. It was, and it was interesting because the story did not center around religion. But it showed how it can go badly and how it can go well. 
inter like kind of interwoven with human nature and human behavior at various points in the story. And even though the primary like the protagonist character is an atheist, there's not anything in the story that definitely declares that he's right or wrong in his view of things, which is really it's it's interesting. I I, I found it to be a really good take. It's a really just fantastic story as well. Uplifting and hopeful and so they take an even-handed approach to it all. It looks like it was an intentionally even-handed approach right. to the, the way that I was going through it, and I, I really appreciated that because, you know, as a person of faith, faith myself, I mean, I can see things out there that are like, no, that's, you don't speak for me, you know? <laughs> like, take your Westboro Baptist, in air quotes, signs and go, you know? Right. It's like, you do not speak for me. But, you know, at the same time, there's... There's definitely stuff where it's like I can I have seen, you know, other sincere people of faith like, you know, draw strength from it and have done some of that myself. And, you know, you can use it to keep your basest impulses in check and it gives you a sense of meaning. And, you know, it's like and that's just temporal stuff. What we believe on more of a cosmological level is that, you know, informs what happens after you die and um, what, you know, purpose means and stuff. And so it's cool to have that apply to some of the characters in a story that's in a lot of ways about humanity and see both the good and the bad of a religious experience, but it's still not be the center point of the story. I, I thought it was really well done. There was a, for me, that version, my version of that, the one I saw. Remember Babylon 5, the, the TV show? I've heard it's good, but I, I never saw it. It, I, I never got past the first episode. I tried a couple of times. That's fair. The set designs were absolutely awful embarrassing anyway they had an episode where humans and aliens were uh, having a cultural exchange so the aliens brought in their alien priests who talked about their alien religion there was one per alien species and then they went to the earthlings it was our turn we had a line out the door we had priests we had <laughs> rabbis we had buddhist monks we had imams we had atheists we had everything and i just love how it just accepted the diversity of religion yeah. in Earth and just presented it. It didn't say it was good or bad or anything. Just, oh, you want to know? <laughs> Talk to all of these 30-odd people. It does touch on a little bit of the, the Star Wars problem, though, where every planet is one thing. Yeah. And every species is one thing. I know it is difficult to do depending on the genre and the setting, but if you... I, I personally buy in a lot more when it's, well, this civilization is actually complicated and has multiple beliefs and not just like their characteristic is they have two opposing beliefs, but there's a complicated history and they have lots of different beliefs and lots of different faith traditions and lots of different cultures that are on the planet, just like Earth does. Yeah. And again, Star Wars is notable because you don't go like, to the other, to the next country or to the next biome, you go to the next planet, right? And it's just, that's sort of how it works. But there's lots of sci-fi that does that and kind of forgets that cultures, no matter what planet they came up on. So I love that. And I would like more of that in what I consume and in what I play. Yeah, but that's hard. Oh, I know it's hard. <laughs> Put some work in. I, I, Grant and I, like, uh, are big fans of the Eberron setting and... Mm -hmm. We don't make much of a, a secret out of it. Honestly, I think that's one of the things that Eberron did really well. Because it's got multiple competing faith traditions with different cosmologies 
And yet it's not as simple as this one is good and this one is bad. It's like this one says a lot of good things, but has some corrupt leadership, but also has some really noble people that work for it. And also a little bit of a history of racism against werewolves that's kind of mostly over now, but it's like, and that's just a silver flame. If you get into the Sovereign Host or, you know, some of the other stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, um, okay, this is, this, this actually kind of looks a little bit like real, you know, it's, you've got... It's well thought out. It's actually nuanced. Yeah. Again, there's lots of people who are like, your your view of the world is wildly different from mine, but we also live in a magical world with planes and, you know, everybody's cleric spells work, so we're going to have to actually talk about this and, and discuss it rather than be like, you know, kind of do the, uh, the Ezekiel, you know, well, whose God calls down fire kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've touched a little bit on fantasy. Fantasy is a weird setting to add real faiths into. But when we say fantasy, I think we very often mean... D&D style fantasy? Yes. Sword and sorcery? Yes. Yeah. I think that is very different from fantasy that is much closer to Earth. Well, if you go to something like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, you're hmm. you're bordering on like his, historical Earth. You know, I mean, it's it's an alternate history with some real magic in it, but it's still recognizably Earth, you know? Sure. Well, I'm thinking like uh, Guy Gavriel Kay, for example, who writes historical fantasy, which is not Earth, but definitely has Romans and Vikings mm. and the English and the Irish and, you know, not a definitely not quite Islam, but also fairies and strange dark woods. And it's there's a lot going on that's pretty close. And it, there's religion and it's very clearly very close to Earth's religions, but it's also maybe not quite the same. And I think and maybe this is kind of the big takeaway, the closer you are to Earth, maybe the you know, the closer your religion probably should be unless you're trying to do something very specific. Yeah, I can liken it to physics. Like if, again, science fiction geek, I cannot do math. I am horrible at understanding the actual physical part of science and how to compute it and all the laws and whatnot. So when I go into science fiction stuff, I might talk about, oh, well, yes, you bend gravity and that gives you faster than light travel. You warp and Bob's your uncle. I'm not sure. going to go into, okay, so here is the actual chemical process that creates so much energy, and here's how we handle that, because I can't. So for me, if you're bringing religion in as sort of like an analog, like you were saying in those stories, kind of the church, but not really the church, mm. that can work, because you're not getting into the specifics. You're purposely creating something surface level or different enough. But just like I can't talk to actual physicists about physics and try to pull one over on them, I can't do that with a real-world faith, especially one that I'm not very familiar with. Let's be real. There's a lot of Catholicism that I, as a Protestant, a Presbyterian, do not know and do not understand and would have to do an enormous amount of research on because it's, you know, for all that we, you know, we've all got the Apostles' Creed, we all— know certain things that we all believe in, there's a huge amount of tradition built into that that I just don't know. And practice, right? Not not theology, but theopraxy, how we live out theology and what right. that means, that really 
is a very different thing than what I know. And as a result, you know, I can't just be like, well, my experience is close enough. You, you need to be able to do research because there are these very different, I'm going to say subcultures, but of course that's not exactly right, these, these subgroups. I had better know the difference between, you know, Shia and Sunni Islam if I'm writing an Islamic character. Right. The interesting thing, you're, you're talking about like Catholic versus Presbyterian. It's been interesting over the last eight years kind of that we've been doing this podcast you and I, Grant, are both members of mainline Protestant denominations. Uh -huh. You're a Presbyterian, I'm a Methodist. I have learned a lot of things about the differences in Presbyterian and Methodist theology, sometimes with Derek White present. Um, there was one particular uh, incident where we kind of had a little bit of an argument, which was kind of interesting. And, you know, it's like Christianity's family tree is just it branches and branches and branches some more, and it's like, I'm off the Anglican branch, which is one of several Protestant branches, but yet even my practice isn't all that common with Jenny's, and she actually is an Anglican, and so it's, yeah, you, the, like, the history is fascinating, but actually, I, I think this is probably a good question for you, WJ, when, when you're dealing with, like, all of this diversity, how much is enough? And where do you start for researching other other faiths? What do you do to what do you do to educate yourself? Good question. Hey, the internet's a thing. There's a <laughs> lot of stuff, a lot of resources you can find. I don't think you need to actually read cover to cover every holy book of a faith you want to bring in. But besides just going to different sites and researching and learning about it, a great thing would be to actually reach out to people who hold that religion and ask them directly. I mean, even just a social media call, just hop on a, a Facebook and be like, hey, I don't really know the difference between Sunni and Shia. Can someone please explain this in a way I understand? Just as there are diversity readers for you know anything that you are trying to, to write and say, hey, you know, am I, is my depiction of, you know, this character who is not me accurate, you know, uh, various different publishing houses, recommend finding diversity readers for your work, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That includes religion, right? Find, as you said, find somebody, uh, you know, familiar with that religion who may be a practicing member of it, willing to work with you. And don't just do it after the fact. Have that conversation before you start writing it so that you're not presenting them with some very clearly unresearched ideas. Do your research work and then say, okay, what did I get wrong? You know, help me help me refine this rather than, well, this is kind of what I have picked up from from popular culture and the little bit I know. So I uh, hope it's good enough. Can you check me on this? That's good for at least two reasons. The first one is your stuff is going to be less offensive to people who actually practice that. And the second one is I guarantee you, if you actually sit down and do the research, you're going to come up with some really cool stuff that you're glad that you found that wasn't part of your first pass. Yep. And if you go with the first pass without research, chances are you're going to get married to some ideas that are wrong. And you're not going to have the wherewithal to be like, oh, I just put 20 pages into this one thing and it's not a real thing. Ask for it. I'll, I can just keep it on going on. Then you keep researching. It's like, oh, no, this is a horribly like bigoted <laughs> stereotype from the 15th century. What have I done? Exactly. Right. Or you don't notice that and get called out on it. 
So yeah, mm, that's oh, that's worse. Yeah, <laughs> and the the internet is pitiless these days. We hasten to remind you. Yes, so. <laughs> I have on my shelf is a collection of books that we got from. Barnes and Noble. It's like seven little volumes that are overviews of the seven major faiths of the world. Nice. It's just like some Barnes and Noble brand set of, of books. And I'm not necessarily saying go find that specifically. What I'm what I'm saying is those sorts of resources exist that are overviews for people who want to know about this religion. More or less, depending on the author, I'm sure. Yeah, if you've got something that's like I have some new Buddhist neighbors. How do I make them feel welcome? That's probably not a terrible place to start, right? Right. Last thing that I think we wanted to to touch on here, last setting, is horror. Because horror Mm. is weirdly tied into religion. Yeah. Probably because religion is... One one of the things it often deals with is fear. Be ye not afraid. (laughs) Right. You know, fear and faith are very deeply tied to one another. And so faith always plays a very, very particular role in horror stories and or at least it certainly can, depending on whether it's, you know, a big budget uh, box office movie or some small independent horror film or a novel or a tabletop role playing game or video game, whatever it is. Horror is intimately tied into that very often. Things like exorcism, for instance, and and, uh, demonic possession. I mean, how many movies like The Exorcist have been made? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it turns out that one did well, and so everyone said, I'll make that too. But I mean, also, how many apocalyptic movies have been made? Like, you know, like, this is is the start of the, the, you know, Revelation Apocalypse kind of a thing. I know Derek White is screaming at his speakers right now because he's... (laughs) Um, that's not his particular theology, but it's it's common enough where it's a to the point of being a cultural touchstone and like you know the breaking of the seals and stuff like that is is really powerful imagery left behind. Mm-hmm. You know, was sure. was a yeah. cultural phenomenon at the time within at least American culture. You're right, and that is something where it has to be grounded in real world religion because it is fundamentally based on that and about that and drawing from that. I don't think you could get the same horror effect from a made-up religion. Well, you do, but then you're in the realm of H.P. Lovecraft. That's a different—I feel like that's a different sort of horror. Okay, that's—I mean, that's fair. We, we had Ken Height on a few years ago, and he, he described Lovecraft as fundamentally, you know, horror, his horror is a world without faith, where, yes. you know, none of the things that we hold to be true are real, you know, the center is empty, and— you know, uh, instead, there's just a, a horrible abyss where where we think there should be, you know, goodness. And, you know, that works, but that is a different sort of horror than this is uncomfortably real. Yeah, that's true. OK, I'll buy that. So what's an example of uncomfortably real horror then? The, uh, the Exorcist. Oh, OK. Got it. Sorry. I'll give you another example from from a specifically Christian author. Uh, Frank Peretti's book, The Visitation, also <laughs> falls very much into that. This it centers around basically like um, a preacher who's kind of burned out and a false prophet who comes through his town and starts doing all kinds of awful things. Actually, I think that's probably my favorite of Frank Peretti's books, and I've read a bunch of them. That's, that one is really, that's an, that's a really good one. <laughs> um, I, I would recommend that one pretty strongly. I think the problem you can encounter, can, 
with bringing religion into a horror setting, game, media, whatever, is you have to be careful about proving one religion true, because that implies the others are not. I mean, if you bring up an angel, a lot of faiths have some kind of heavenly being or, or holy being like an angel. Uh, so that's, you could probably get away with. But if the, you know, if we're talking the exorcist, and if I remember the movie correctly, they did get into some actual biblical demon names for the entity that was possessing Linda Blair. I think they did. I, I've only seen it once and it was decades ago. Yeah. But the Catholic or the whatever priests, the Christian priests were able to solve the situation eventually. So the implication is, well, what if those were rabbis? Could they have exercised the demon? Is this demon proving that the Christian hell exists, therefore the Christian heaven exists, and therefore all other religions got it wrong? Yeah, and if that's something that you are intentionally setting out to do as part of the parameters of your creative project, you can do that. And I, I think that's valid, but you have to be aware of the fact that, A, that's going to limit your audience, and B, like... By doing that, you are going to draw a certain kind of attention from people who don't fall into that particular belief system. Now, in the case of, like, The Exorcist, where it's like, hey, you know, this kind of possessing demon is a big part of our faith tradition. I mean, we've got, you know, one of my favorite stories from the New Testament is Jesus going across the lake to exorcise the Gerasene demoniac. And, you know, that's a very powerful, consistent part of our faith tradition. So. If this is going to be a specifically Christian horror tale, hey, sure, go for it. If you're trying to write a game system that allows a diverse group of players to sit down and do stuff together, that's where you really start running into the problems that WJ was talking about. Exactly. And to kind of pull it back around a little bit as we wrap this up, one of my favorite little uh, ways of handling this was actually in a World of Darkness book. It was a splat book about one of the werewolf clans. Uh, it was one of the uh, my wife was playing. And they actually talked about Jesus. Because, uh, this was a, uh, I don't even remember the name of the clan, but it's the one, uh, clan's not, maybe not even the right term. It's been a long time, folks, is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, there's this werewolf uh, subgroup that's very interested in history uh, because they had forgotten all of their, their own. And so we're trying to kind of recover it. And along the way, found everyone else's history as well. And of course, uh, you know, demons are a, a real thing in the world of darkness, not necessarily Christian demons, but, you know, demonic forces. And they were like, yeah, you know, uh, we don't know about this. We don't know about this. We also don't know what Jesus was, but he was something because demons couldn't get within a mile of him. And if he moved, if something was too slow, they just sort of exploded and went away. Nice. We don't know what that was, but it was something. And I always thought that was a nice way of handling it where it was, okay, within, you know, the Christian tradition, we obviously think Jesus was God. And, you know, you know, there's the whole divinity of Christ thing. But other religions don't always have that about all of their figures. And so this was like, this is special, but we're not necessarily saying it's Christian, just something special. And as Christians, we can just sort of write something what we believe onto that mentally and say, yeah, we know why. And members of other religions can look at that and say, okay, well, that's not true, but it's kind of cool that he's powerful. And maybe that's why that's, you know, why they believe that. And I can work that into what I believe. It points to a way where you can do this and say, a lot of this is still special, but I'm not going to say anything is exactly true. I'm just not going to 
say that, but I can give little things that this is interesting. This is a, a thing that was powerful. This was a moment, a person that is special and thus worth talking about and maybe touching on in your game. And as a game author or, or a setting author, you can bring that in and give everyone room to hang what they want onto those characters. That to me is the key of what why that works. I love this idea, by the way. It doesn't land on any one version of fate. It doesn't say Jesus was son of God. It doesn't say Jesus was just a prophet and not divine at all. It just keeps it vague enough that everyone can make those decisions for themselves. And to me, that's how you do it. You don't tell people, hey, your religion is not true in my game. This other one is. Instead, you just say, hey, look, there's something weird going on. You decide what that means. And this is not to say that there are not games that I have seen on DriveThruRPG that are, this game is, you know, this religion is true and nothing else is. I did a search for Christian role-playing games a while back, and some of them were depressing. Um, some of them were <laughs> genuinely interesting. There were a, there was one fantastic one I need to try and find again, where it, humanity had expanded out into space, and then, you know, the Book of Revelations happened. The end times. Hmm. Earth. Uh, cleansed, but there were people on other planets who watched it from afar and went, huh, Interesting. well, that just happened. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's picking a very specific genre and kind of, and, and thing and running with it and saying, this is true. What is, what does that mean if that is true? And it's not necessarily a game for Christians, but I, I can see an author saying I'm writing to this particular audience. But if you're trying to write to a broader audience, letting people hang what they want and make it their own, which is what I think good game designers and authors do anyway, because it's not played in the game author's head. It's played at the table with this group of people, you know, every, every individual group and GM and players or you know, just players. If it's a GMless game, everybody is telling those stories themselves. Make room for that unless you're trying to do something very, very specific and then understand what the implications of that specificity are. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of room in gaming to do a what if. Like you were saying, what if we spread out, we had this nice little space opera setting, and then it turns out the rapture was real and revelations happened and blah, blah, blah. That, I think, can work. Even if you're not Christian, you could still look at that and go, oh, wow, that, that would be weird. And it yep. intrigues you and brings you into the game that way. The thing that's kind of interesting there is having it confined to Earth like it was in the setting that Grant found or having it happen throughout the entire galaxy, those are both interesting scenarios. Yeah, and, and I have to stress, the the game, and, I, and again, I need to try and find it, it, the question then was, all right, so this has been proven real and now things are happening on our world, but they're not in Revelation, but something is happening, what do we do? Interesting. Right. And that was the kind of the theory of that was the action of the game right there. Not, oh, that happened, but, oh, that happened. And now something's happening to me. I remember, just like you, can't remember the name of the game. Got to find it someday. I know it's out there. It was a role playing game set on Earth after the rapture. Uh, oh, yeah. They took the line, the meek shall inherit the Earth and used it as a warning uh, after the rapture ended. Everyone who had picked a side, heaven or hell, disappeared from Earth and went there. And so the only people left on Earth were the ones who were hedging their bets that didn't want to 
be good or evil. And again, that that enforces one uh, uh, paradigm, one religion. But it, it's only a starting point. It's just a what if. You're not saying, hey, you're all wrong. You're just saying, hey, look, here's a weird setting where this was true. How would you deal with that? And if the indie explosion of the last 15 years has taught us nothing, it's taught us that there's room for small games with a limited scope and a defined setup so that you can tell one very specific story. Yep, and that's one of the things I love about modern games. Oh, me too. Absolutely adore it. Do we have any final thoughts on this? Uh, I feel like we're still in the introduction at some level, but we are running up against time. So we are. We may have to get you back. Because <laughs> uh, we honestly haven't touched a lot of our notes, which is kind of interesting. This this one developed very organically. We've bounced around, and I don't think that's a bad thing. WJ, no. any final thoughts from you? Yes. One thing I wanted to talk about, uh, just a little warning. Um, when you're creating fates for your game, so you're making up one, don't do the orc thing, meaning don't use it as code for a religion you hate or a religion you love. Right. People are not stupid. They will suss that out. They'll figure out that you're saying, oh, that's actually a Jewish character because you're hitting all the racist stereotypes. Got it. If you're going to make your own faith, that's a fun thing to do. Give it a try. Go for all the right. little details. Create your own scripture. It'll be fun. But make sure that you're doing it for a purpose in the game. And don't code it to mean a real faith. Yes, that's very important. One thing along those lines, I think it was episode 85, we had James Wyatt on, and we went through the process of creating a fantasy religion, kind of out of whole cloth with him. That might be something interesting to listen to, to if, you know, I mean, you're listening to this, back episode of ours. Um, if you're looking for some process where you want to avoid coding anything even by mistake because i think we based it around water or something like that yeah we we invented like a water temple and then of course if we're designing a water temple well we need a religion for that temple what is that about we were just kind of doing like encounter and location design sure yeah that we, we then had to kind of think through what all of that meant and again that's purpose driven what is the purpose of it in the game that I'm using, uh, that I'm playing here, which we kind of approached as just something very generic F20, D20 fantasy style kind of thing, because it's a common denominator for a lot of us. Fine. But what is the purpose of this temple in a game like that? And then how did we get there? You build in some backstory and you build in some characters and, you know, okay, well, maybe this is of interest. Maybe I can reuse this. Maybe we'll have other members of this religion show up rather than yeah, it's a weird one-off temple, don't worry about it. And, and just to be clear, as somebody who has run a lot of D&D, &D, every once in a while you need, eh, it's a weird one-off temple, don't worry about it, it's been abandoned for a while, you know, d d it's fine. Look, the point is there's neat pillars for a combat, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you need that, and that is okay. Yeah, sometimes the temple is just a place to get some healing done, and then you walk on out, and there you go. If you develop that at all, make sure you're developing it in a way that is cohesive, consistent, in a, you know, not offensive, certainly, but I would also just say engaging. Make it something people want to be interested in, if at all possible, because they're going to keep coming back to it, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. Anytime you get your players hooked on something that they're interested in, you've won as a GM. I think probably a succinct way of saying that is the need for detail 
and the need to be respectful with stuff scales directly with how important it is narratively in the game. Yes. Yeah. If your temple is like WJ was saying, just a healing potions vending machine, eh, whatever, it's it stitches the, you know, deity of patching up wounded people. What if, are you going back to the dungeon or what? You know, oh, you want to buy a sword? Okay, fine. We you have know? one of those in the module I'm running for you now. You yeah. Know, it, it, what is this temple? It's an all-faith temple. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, they, they literally take turns, you know, like, yeah, whatever. You know? And one suggestion I want to make for anyone building a fantasy faith like this, don't make it completely sensible. Religions build over time, and they're full mm -hmm. of contradictions and things that we don't quite get but we're doing anyway because hey we've done that for 400 years let's why change it so don't make right. a perfect religion or it's going to feel fake yes uh I, one of my favorite c.s lewis uh quotes is talking about how messy christianity is and how that is a a hallmark of its realism because real things are complicated and messy and weird and they don't make sense in in a simple quick look. You were talking about physics earlier. Quantum physics is extremely strange and extremely complicated, and it has to be to explain everything that it does and, you know, define all of the rules for how the universe works at a very fundamental mechanical level. We don't live in a world where just because it's simpler, that means it's true. That's how you end up with conspiracy theories and cults. Yeah. To, to continue to use Christianity as an example, how many different theories are there about what exactly happened on the cross? How many theories are there about what exactly happens during the Eucharist? And those are two of the most important central things about our faith. Yeah. You've got, you know, Christus Victor and penal substitutionary atonement and... Uh, you know, and then you've got like consubstantiation and transubstantiation and memorialism. And it's just like we can't even agree on some of the really central stuff. It's one of the reasons why Christianity has schismed so much. Even just the central Trinity component in the Catholic tradition, it's a bit of a mystery uh, with a capital M. And to me, that always, and I'm not knocking Catholics, don't worry, but it always felt like they said, well, we don't get it, and that's cool. It's, it's not to get. No one can understand this. So it, it totally makes sense that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, our, ours are, is not the mind of God. So <laughs> we don't have to understand this to do what's required of us. We just have to kind of know that it's there. Fair. Exactly. I think that's a good point to wrap this up. We could keep going on, and we would if we had time. But <laughs> WJ, you have, you've been very gracious to give us an hour and a half already, and we really appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been really good. I agreed. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate y'all making a little space for me here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If somebody wants to find you on the internet, how can they do that? WJ McGuffin, all one word, at gmail.com. Okay. I don't. I have a website, but I never use it anymore. I think it's like 10 years old. And just, yeah. It's a vanity project, and I'm not that vain these days. Fair enough. And that's McGuffin. M-A-C-G-U-F-F-I-N. Right. MacGuffin. Got it. I will make sure to put that in the show notes. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, that would, I'm sure would be fantastic. Likewise, if you want to reach out to us, you can do that through Twitter and Facebook. We're saving the game there. Uh, you can, of course, email us. Uh, we don't mention this too much, but if you go to our website, uh, stgcast.org, there's a contact us 
uh, form you can fill out, or you can just email us, hosts at stgcast.org. We're, we're pretty easy to get hold of. And, or, of course, if you want to talk about this episode, Twitter, Facebook, great ways to do it in the comments on the blog post that accompanies each episode, but also our Discord, which is full of absolutely fantastic people chatting about episodes and religion and faith and food and the tomatoes they've been growing and role-playing games and crazy exercise routines and a huge charity bundle from itch.io for racial justice and equality and yeah exactly i mean i've got right now i'm looking at it there's a discussion of you know learning databases uh, a discussion of uh mech wario 5 that's uh wario from uh, from Mario? nintendo yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty great. Uh, a whole thing about uh, board games. You know, somebody's uh, finally doing a game night with friends. You know, uh, being kind of safe, and they're they're doing a game night. They've got all their board games out. That looks pretty great. Nice. Whole section. You know, creativity. Just man, there's it's a great community. It's full of awesome people, and I really do recommend you join. Just fantastic folks all around. So you can do that. You can find that on our website, or of course, it's pinned on Twitter as well. Uh, WJ, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being here. This was great. It's kind of nice to make a new friend through the podcast, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. I absolutely love gaming, love talking about religion. So this was this was a piece of cake for me and a delicious one at that. So thank you both. <laughs> awesome. And I'm I'm gonna have to add paranoia to my gaming library. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh yeah, in fact there's a Kickstarter right now <laughs> for a new paranoia supplement uh, called Project Infinite Hole. I recommend you check it out because I will get money if you spend. All right. <laughs> we'll send folks to that and I'll drop the link for that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get that in there. So from all of us here at Saving the Game, and I hope from WJ as well, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. Bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution share alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.